0: Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, it's me and producer Jason Filippo because it's Fan Mail Friday. We may not have all the answers, but we have a lot of your questions. Of course, Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. All right, Jason, what's up first?
1: Hi, Jordan and Jason. I'm looking for specific advice on how to deal with a toxic co-worker who is related to the owner. I've been working at Company X for four years now and went from web developer to second man on the totem pole behind the owner. I moved fast, thanks to you guys and hard work, and now realize that the owner is over-influenced by a family member that, one, complains to the team about each sales call they take, two, talks about our customers openly negatively, three, doesn't put in the effort the other folks in the office do and reaps way more benefit, and fourth, directly sways the owner of the company to implement things that, in my opinion, hurt the business. Overall, this person is extremely negative as well as rude to customers, and the rest of the office is showing signs of being fed up or being closed off. Several employees have been let go after voicing themselves against this employee. I've explained the lack of etiquette and rudeness to customers to the owner, as well as provided possible solutions to the problem several times and in several ways. The owner always appreciates my input and talks about implementing, but never does, and sometimes even lies about doing so. My dilemma is that I really do like what I'm learning, love the flexibility, and make really good money in a town that doesn't have too much opportunity. It's hard for me to be a leader in a company where there is a mismatch of values. At the top, it seems that the company is more about greed than solving problems for our customers. Do you guys have any ideas on how I can avoid being so troubled by this person? I appreciate your time. Thanks. The Toxic Avenger.
0: Oh, man. This is messy. And I think we did talk about this to a certain extent with the I Hate My Boss podcast, folks. You really need to leave the job. It sucks. There's just kind of no really good answer here because, look, the boss is going through his own stuff with the family member who works there. That's clearly the case. He cares about his business, of course, more than he cares about the people in it with the exception of that family member. And that seems like a weird back ass words kind of thing, but obviously actions speak louder than words. He's putting that person before the business and he's losing good people from the business because of that family member. So start looking for other jobs. And if you can, you should leave. And you know, you can have a heart to heart about why you're leaving, tell him the truth, and maybe he'll come to his senses. What I might do is, of course, definitely start looking for other gigs, get a lifeline, you know, something else that you can jump to if you need to, or if he decides to fire you for giving him bad news. But you might want to meet with other people who are working there and just gather some anonymous data about how this other person is hurting the business. If you add 10 little or five little quips that are serious enough from other people there that are totally anonymous, and you, you walked into the boss's office and you said, look, I got some bad news. You're not going to like this. But I love this business, and I care about the people in it. And then you have a heart to heart with them, and you say, "And I'm not the only one." Here are some comments from other people in the office who are going to remain anonymous, and you really dump it on them because th- at some point your boss thinks, "Oh, I'm I'm holding it together. You know, I'm getting away with it. Oh, it's not that bad." Just in the face of all this evidence to the contrary, other people leaving, and all these issues that you all are having in your business, and these bad policies, he knows already. He just needs to have it just put right down in plain English right in front of him, but he may also choose to shoot the messenger. And frankly, you need to have a backup plan. You're on a sinking ship and the captain will not wake up. You got to jump in a lifeboat ASAP. All right, next up.
1: Hi, Jordan. I bombed a presentation last Monday. Let me take a quick step back. Nice to meet you. I'm 24 years old and live in the fine and quickly growing city of Indianapolis. I work in management consulting, specifically focusing on selecting software that meets clients' needs and requirements. Your podcast provides me with a great toolkit that allows me to build more effective client social relationships. Back to the presentation. I was tasked with training on how to use Excel to provide more insight from our clients' data. I thought going into it, easy, I love public speaking. Actually, I take any opportunity I can to do so. So let's talk about where I whiffed. I am so used to giving presentations where I was selling something, like an idea, concept, product, way of living, etc. And that is what influenced my style. I used principles like rules of three, moving throughout the room, loud tone, etc. But teaching is a whole different connection with the audience. I didn't have the connection. That's the reason for my email. What do you propose one needs to do to become an effective teacher from a speaking and flow perspective? How does this differ from things like TED Talks, if at all? Thanks, Jordan. Signed, Max.
0: Right. So TED Talks are presentations. They're not teaching. They're really just presentations of a simple concept. They're heavily, heavily, heavily rehearsed, every single word, hundreds of times, generally, to huge rooms full of people. It's not going to be the same as teaching. Selling something in a sales presentation, as you found out the hard way, is not going to be the same as teaching. Teaching is best practiced by teaching, but I, I do understand that you can't necessarily do that all the time. I would say, look, here's how I learned how to speak. I took tons of classes. I bought all these little speaking classes. Some were crap. Most of them were crap, actually. Um, But I... Did a lot of practice for no money. Once I had my little spiel set up, the, the rough one, I did tons of practice for no money, just getting rid of the nerves, get up, getting up there on stage, talking. I helped a lot of other groups for free. I came into companies and taught them stuff for free. I would shop topics with audiences and create content that people wanted to learn by calling businesses and saying, hey, what, what do you guys wanna learn? Here's what I can teach. I'm gonna do it for free. I'm just getting practice. I did that a ton. And then when I was really feeling good about it, And feeling like I had this on lock, I did a 20-day-long class. It was separated into, I think, four weeks. Yeah, four weeks. I did a 20-day-long class with my friend Michael Port. This is what I should have done at first because I ended up unlearning a lot of bad habits that I picked up trying to do this on my own. So I would highly recommend that. I can link to his stuff in the show notes. But after that 20-day class with Michael Port, I once again spoke a ton for a lot lower money than I'm – well, it sounds weird to say this, but a lot lower than I'm worth in order to hone that keynote. I did like 10 sub-10 10 grand keynote speeches in order to really nail it in. And we did the same thing with the Creative Live course that we recently had. And you can find uh, some of the bonus stuff there at com slash creative live. And you can find the Creative Live course. We'll link to that in the show notes. But we did the same thing with this Creative Live course. We created it. We gave a rehearsal of it. We did it for Creative Live. This now will become the skeleton of our half day and day long training courses that we will do in house at corporations and for the military. So if you have a company or you're working for an organization and you'd like to have AOC come and train you, we now have a day or even half day long training. Workshop That we can run that teaches relationship development, body language, things like that, networking. So it really is in a, in a comprehensive and exhaustive process. Don't feel bad that you bombed your presentation. This is a skill that most people just suck at. Even people who think that they're good at this, really tend to not be so good at it. Take it to the next level as soon as possible. Get into Michael Port stuff. I found most other speaking classes to be just a terrible waste of time and money because they're not for the same thing that you're looking for. They're usually for people who are terrified and their boss makes them go up there. They pay the four grand and they make the person take it so that they can hold a meeting. That's not what you're looking for. You can also go to Toastmasters, but that really in many ways is the blind leading the blind, and you don't want to finish there. That uh, The people who give speech at Toastmasters, even the champion ones, they tend to be very mediocre speakers. So you're going to want to go to Toastmasters, maybe kick off some of the rust and then get into what professionals are doing, presenting and speaking. And the only person I know that teaches this well is Michael Port. I looked everywhere. That's how I met Michael Port. It's not the other way around. I'm not just referring business to my friend. I met Michael Port because I was looking for the best of the best when it came to speaking. So the good news is you got plenty of room for improvement and it's totally normal. And the bad news is it's going to take a really long time. But hey, you've got the resources now. No excuses. All right. Next up.
1: Hi, Jordan. Just listen to your episode that mentioned misophonia. I suffer from it, although on a milder level than your previous listener. And while it can impact social interaction, it's not associated with autism, at least not to my knowledge. Here's a pretty solid explanation from an expert from the podcast Tell Me Something I Don't Know in the episode called Passion Plays. I transcribed the following from the episode because it was actually my first introduction to misophonia. I've lived with it all my life, but had shrugged it off as a series of pet peeves. But this podcast helped me come to terms with the fact that misophonia has interrupted my life in ways that are not normal nor healthy. And here's the transcript. Misophonia, literally meaning hatred of sound, described by Dr. Baron Lerner, professor of medicine and population health at NYU's Langone Medical Center. This little-known condition is called misophonia. Misophonia is a newly described syndrome in which certain people are exquisitely sensitive to certain sounds. It's believed to result from a hyperconnectivity to the auditory system and limbic system, which is the emotional center of the brain, and as I said, I have it, and I often see patients who have it as well. People with misophonia get exquisitely anxious, distressed, and even furious when they hear certain sounds, such as chewing noises, loud yawns, sniffling, and clicking of pens, and there's a whole bunch of other ones. It's hard for something like mesophonia to gain acceptance. For years and years, people came to doctors with extreme fatigue, but it wasn't until 1988 when the CDC named Chronic Fatigue Syndrome that there was legitimacy. Now I think it's mesophonia's turn. Misophonia is no joke. There are people who suffer so terribly that marriages have fallen apart and families have to eat in separate rooms. So while science is now legitimizing mesophonia, there are still lots of people who think that people with mesophonia are merely crazy. What makes this so interesting is most people don't care about these sounds, but the ones who have it care deeply. And it's those particular sounds which I guess have a certain frequency that bothers this group of people. And now back to the letter. I see a cognitive behavioral therapist for anxiety-related issues, and she's told me she's qualified to help. From what I recall, her summary of the treatment was exposure therapy, which would essentially be the therapist triggering misophonia in the patient by making sounds that aggravate them and supporting them or teaching them coping mechanisms to deal with it. I've yet to begin treatment for misophonia, but I'm very hopeful about it. I've already spoken with my family and used Dr. Lerner's explanation as a helpful tool to explain my struggle to them. Now I'm happy to say we have a sensitive, considerate, productive conversation going on. I would love to help spread the word about misophonia and destigmatize this disorder as much as possible. I'm 23 years old and a cum laude graduate at a top U.S. university. And the last thing I want for myself and for others is for misophonia to become misconceived as a debilitating condition. Sufferers like me have functioned brilliantly, like your original listener, despite this issue. And the more we can get our honest misophonia message out there, the sooner we can figure out how to help other people who might feel like they're less because of it. Much loving support to the rest of the pod fam. Quietly yours, destigmatize misophonia.
0: Yeah, I'm getting a ton of emails about this. So many people seem to have misophonia or know someone who does have this or have a little bit of it. It goes well beyond pet peeves and right into something clinical here. Absolutely. I've gotten more emails about this than I think about just about anything else recently. This is every day I'm getting like 10 emails about misophonia. This must be so common. I'd never heard of it before. Hi, here's another one.
1: Hi, Jordan. I just listened to the misophonia segment of your Fan Mail Friday episode. I too have this disorder along with my mother. It's something that has only recently been given a name and talked about publicly. Kelly Ripa also has it and has confessed on her ABC segment, which we will have linked in the show notes. And there's a documentary and associated Facebook page called Quiet Please, which also will be linked in the show notes. Many people are just discovering this and taking it seriously. It truly is different than an annoyance or pet peeve in that the physiological response is totally uncontrollable and amped up more than normal. If there's something rattling, squeaking, or vibrating in my house or car, I will tear everything apart until I can isolate the source. Chewing noises or clanking of bowls, etc. are also bad, and as the writer in your episode mentioned, it extends to visual stimuli as well, typically repetitive things like a leg shaking. One time my husband was eating sunflower seeds in the car, crunching and spitting them out, and it took every iota of my strength not to break down bawling or punch him in the face. It definitely is hard on relationships. From everything I've read, it's not very much related to autism, but may be related to other anxiety disorders or OCD-type characteristics. For the most part, it seems to be a mystery, although, as the documentary explains, exposure therapies are not very helpful in this case, like they can be with OCD, for example. In fact, fellow misophonia sufferers often have rules about disclosing when they are about to describe their personal triggers so that others do not get triggered, as it's often the case that even talking about it can elicit a reaction. The more stimuli is there, the more sensitive it seems we get over time. I hope this helps shed some light on what this is, and at a minimum your fan can find a good support group and more people will truly come to understand what misophonia sufferers go through. Hopefully one day we will also know why. And another one. Hi Jordan, I was listening to Fan Mail Friday and I think I might be able to help Please Chew With Your Mouth Closed. As I see you are aware from the episode title, Please Chew With Your Mouth Closed likely has misophonia, which is a form of synesthesia. A cross-wiring of the brain between different sensory systems. There are many different combinations that can occur, including seeing colors when you hear a certain musical note, or feeling sensation on your face when you see someone else's face being stroked. In this case, there's been a crossover between sound and emotional sensation. The reaction to the sight of someone chewing gum is likely just an association. The sight is causing the similar negative response due to the fear of the negative emotional response associated with the sound, and the negative emotions associated with having the disorder in the first place, kind of like being anxious about getting anxious. He's preempting what he believes to be the inevitable. However, there's hope. This is something I've experienced from varying degrees in the past, and I found that there can be a way to recondition the type of emotional response you have to the sound, to the point that now it's not an issue for me. I can listen to someone chewing gum, and although I find it frustrating and would like to avoid it, I no longer feel that anger that I used to, and it's not debilitating. It's also important not to hate on yourself or the disorder, but rather try to accept that this is a challenge you have to overcome. Don't accommodate its demands. The more you fixate on having it and the more power you give it, the more it will control your life. Just see it as your brain did a little twister and now you have to find a way to untangle it as best you can. Hope that helps. Kind regards. You're not alone.
2: Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right,
0: back to non-misophonia topics. All right, next question.
1: Hello, Jordan and Jason. I started listening to The Art of Charm a few months ago, and I love it. I've taught high school science for five years, and I'm always looking for ways to improve my teaching. I've used things I learned from The Art of Charm in my classroom with great success. Your advice and tips are helpful and straightforward. This year I'm moving to a new school and I have a question for you about the best way to approach my new coworkers. Teaching is my passion and my love, and I can be rather intense when I talk about it. I can talk all day about teaching, but I'm not very good with non-teaching small talk with my coworkers. I'm excellent with communicating with my students and forming relationships with them, but struggle with doing the same with my coworkers. What's the best way to approach them? I want to form good relationships with them and be a person they would like to talk to and collaborate with. My previous school was an alternative school for at-risk urban kids. Most teachers didn't last for more than a year or two, but I was there for four years. I would have stayed at that school, but the new principal brought a negative change to the school culture. Teachers would openly make fun of students at staff meetings, and the administrators would not correct them. I loved my students, and I was willing to do whatever it took to get my students to learn. I was not able to hide my disgust at the other teachers' behavior and their lack of caring for the students and managed to alienate them. The other teachers' attitudes negatively affected my students, and the school culture deteriorated. I brought my concerns to the new principal, but he made it clear that he didn't want to hear them. He just wanted to make sure we continued to get the money from the state, and I was just being difficult. I couldn't tolerate that kind of attitude and see my students being adversely affected, so I left. My new school is a very small, rural, traditional high school and is the polar opposite of the one I just left. I'm worried that I will alienate my new co-workers with my intensity and dedication to my craft like I did with my former co-workers. I don't want to make the same mistakes, but at the same time, I don't want to lie or try to hide who I am. My students are always my first priority, but I would like to make friends and be a positive contributing member in the teaching community. Thank you, the overly intense teacher.
0: I see this as a fit issue. I don't think you should hide. I, I think it's bad for you to hide. I think you are a school's dream come true. You should be an intense teacher. You should love your job. You should be really into it. I think most schools wish they had more teachers like that. That's why they hire young, new teachers. I really hope you do fit in well here, but if not, move on to another place. This is so few and far between to find somebody who's really interested in the job, really interested in the success of the students. I would hate to see you lose that. You've got to move on until you find the fit. It will be a pain, but once you find the fit, you're going to be a superstar. You're going to be happier than ever before and worth your weight in gold, really. I mean, bad teachers are a dime a dozen. Good teachers, so rare. Somebody who cares to be better and better, it's just so rare. I, I really don't want to see this. I don't want to see you hammered down into conformity in a place that's making you miserable and is not effective. So it really is a fit issue. I don't know how to evaluate teaching jobs, so I can't help. If you're a teacher and you had a similar issue, I would love to hear from you so I can pass this along to the overly intense teacher, Jordan at theartofcharm.com. I know we got a lot of teachers listening to the show because teachers also generally care about learning and growing and moving forward. So got a lot of educators here. But I I know even my mom is a special ed teacher. She had huge problems with this because she really cared about her students. And there were a lot of teachers and administrators that were just like, eh, shut up and do your job, you know. So I, I get it. I get it, and I feel for you. Oh, we heard back from the IRS agent that was looking for help with her legal arguments. What does she have to say?
1: Hey, Jordan. Just wanted to thank you for the insight and advice you gave on being more efficient at researching and debating law. I've already been able to implement it at work. You and your crew came through like gangbusters. Limiting the time I spend on research has allowed me to move my cases more quickly, and if the rep doesn't agree with me, I say, okay, then you show me the law that says I'm wrong, which puts the ball in their court and makes them do some of the legwork. In simply taking my time to consider a rep's argument before responding, I was able to identify numerous inconsistencies that will ultimately discredit his testimony and arguing against myself on the same case allowed me to come up with some solid counter-arguments. The listening instead of thinking ahead is a work in progress, but I'll get there. Thanks again, your friendly neighborhood IRS agent, Debbie.
0: Right on, Debbie. I'm glad this was helpful, and just make sure you use your new powers for good instead of evil. Having just gone through an audit where we didn't do anything wrong, it was such a huge pain and just so expensive to navigate that just be cool, Debbie. Be cool. All right, next up.
1: Hi, AOC. I'm finally going back to college after a long bout of depression. The issue is, well, I never told my extended family that I left school in the first place. Whoops. Yeah. I pretended that I was in school that whole time. They think I've finished my undergrad and I'm just soul-searching like so many others, a.k.a. taking random jobs and vaguely pondering going to grad school. By the way, this is not my post-graduation plan. We're a family full of Ivy Leaguers and bigwigs. That's not a brag. I'm saying that to demonstrate that dropping out of college for any reason is simply not an option. Thus, I never told them. But I obviously can't keep the charade up forever. I was in therapy for a while, but I stopped going after I managed to get a job. I never went back. To be honest, I think it was the right thing. The job gave me income, self-esteem, a sense of purpose, and fuel to get back on track. Don't get me wrong. I've been working on improving myself through reading, podcasts, and courses rather than with a therapist and I made more progress with those in a month than I did in years of therapy. Not that I'm knocking therapy. In two weeks, I'm going back to the school that I dropped out of. I'm very excited, but there's no way I can keep pretending that I never left in the first place. I have no clue how to break the news. I think that they'll lose trust in me, and I can't blame them. Is there a quote-unquote best way to break the news? One person at a time, rent a blimp, or am I overestimating the importance? Thanks, pants on fire.
0: This is great. I think, first of all, Congratulations. You had a problem. You did the right thing by getting it handled, and now you're back on track. That's huge. You don't hear that every day, so congratulations for that. Look, your parents and your family probably going to be super pissed that you dropped out and didn't tell them, but you know what? If you explain why you dropped out, that you were having issues, that you went and got them treated, that you got a job, and now you're already back in school— I don't see what they have to be mad about. They'll be bummed that you didn't trust them enough to to tell them. But if you explain why, namely that you were ashamed, I think they'll understand. I mean, maybe, I miss, maybe I'm underestimating your family here or overestimating their empathy.
1: I can't see them not getting on board with it because you are going back, you know, so you are going to finish your education. So right. what do they have to complain about?
0: Yeah, I, I, I just... I think you're worried because you still have the residual shame from dropping out and why you dropped out and you didn't say anything. But if I found out that my kid had left college because of depression and then got therapy and then got a job and then re-enrolled in school and is excited and doing well again, I would be mad at myself for not having a relationship with my son or daughter where they felt they could trust me with this. I would not be mad at them at all. I would be very proud and I would hope your family will be as well. So please let us know when you decide to break the news. Oh, and don't do it one person at a time. Definitely sit down, maybe your parents. You don't have to have like 80 people in the room. Just have the people that matter most, maybe brother, sister, parents. and Or even just go to your, you know, if you can trust your sibling not to spill the beans early without you. You know, ask them for your help and your support when you talk to the parents, because that would be great if, if you know, you talk to your sister and she says, I'm so proud of you. And you say, can you back me up? I think mom and dad are going to kill me. And she might, you know, she might be all for it. I would hope that your sibling would be for it. I think going with the truth and showing your work, you know, show them, hey, look, I dropped out because I felt really sad. I went to therapy. It helped. Then I got a job and made sure that I was actually okay. And then I re enrolled in school, and ta da, I'm already back in class. So my graduation date's gonna be delayed because of that, but I feel better now and I feel like I got it handled. Th- that, that's such a huge real life problem that you solved. It's much more impressive than, yeah, I got all A's in anthropology 101 and biology. I just feel like you just had a real, you did some real adulting here that's worth patting yourself on the back, not the other way around. All right, documentary of the week. The Internet's Own Boy. Man, this is sad. Jason, you want to talk about this one? I know you've seen this one.
1: Yeah, this is the story of Aaron Swartz. He was a boy genius. Actually, if you've ever uh, listened to a podcast, you've been using some of Aaron's work because he was uh, one of the developers for the RSS protocol that podcasts are built on. Um, He was a co-founder of Reddit, and he was just an amazing kid. I got to meet him once way back in the day, and he's so smart. I mean... You know, he, I had 20 years on him and the kid could like, you know, run circles around me. It was incredible. And he did a lot of social justice work and he was a political activist and he got in trouble with the law for downloading a bunch of
0: their academic documents,
1: like six million of them. And he got busted for it. And the legal problems that he had eventually caused him to kill himself. And it is a terrible story because they tried to make an example of him. A lot of my friends are in this documentary talking about him who also knew him, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a heartbreaking story, but uh one that definitely needs to be told.
0: Yeah, it's really sad. He was so smart, this kid. And it, you know, this touched a nerve for me, just because it's such an example of an overzealous prosecutor going after I mean, look, he downloaded document this is IP theft. I mean, give me a break. And looking at now, the way that we look at intellectual property now. And coming from somebody – I mean, you and I create IP that we give away, and it's the main thing that we do. So it's shocking and sad to have this this genius get – essentially, you know, we lost him because of another company that wanted to keep their intellectual property and make an example out of him. Yeah, it's just such a shame. Such a shame. Great documentary, The Internet's Own Boy. It's on YouTube. We'll link to that in the show notes. And other than that I hope you all enjoyed this episode don't forget you can email us Friday at the to get your questions answered on the air I keep everyone anonymous of course you can either make up your own name or we can do it um, Jason and I we're a little bit less creative than you all though so just keep that in mind when you make up when you if you're gonna ask us to do it and if you got feedback for the show give it to us here Jordan at the art you can send it to the Friday inbox Friday at the art we like to Argue like we're right, but listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy. And if you've got your own advice for some of the people you've heard from today, let us know. If it's something that can help everyone, I may read it on the show or we can just pass it along to the person who you're talking to, depending on what you got for us. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF129. Quick shout outs to Ian Fisher. He's in the Peace Corps. We have a ton of Peace Corps people listening to Art of Charm. That much is clear. Uh, He's in the Peace Corps in Senegal. He said it takes nearly two hours to download a single episode of AOC. So maybe we should look at uh, Ian, if it helps and if it's even possible... We could mail you a flash drive with all the episodes on them. Because he says he's passing them around to other people. I can only imagine what kind of pain that is. We could mail you a flash drive, USB stick with all of them on there. I don't know how we get stuff to Senegal, but maybe we can send it to like a Peace Corps office and they can get it to you. I'm totally cool to do that. We can just copy the files. And to Kyle Schaefer in Tang Town, Dongguan City, China. He says he's commuting around, try- taking a lot of buses around China. He sometimes listens to AOC for over six hours a day. So he must be just well sick of us by
1: now. <laughs> Seriously, that's about that's more than we listen to us.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's that's brutal. Kyle, glad to have you as a fan. <laughs> you must. I don't know. I'm look, man. I don't know. Does he? how do you deal with me for that long? That's my question. I don't even think Jenny could do it. I can't. I can barely do it. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit us up. We'll shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. And Jason, you're on Twitter.
1: I'm on Twitter at JPDef. That's J-P-D-E-F. And you can catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're in iTunes or go to show to find out more.
0: Yeah, and we got The Art of Charm Challenge. Lots of practicals, drills, and exercises. Theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Or if you're in the United States, you can text AOC to 38470. That's AOC to 38470. Drills, exercises, it's practicals to get you out there, shake off some of the rust. It's unisex, it's free, it's online, it's a low-time commitment, no excuses. Theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text AOC to 38470. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com including info on our live residential boot camps that we're running every week here in L.A., if you want to dig into this stuff, work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches. Got guys coming in from all over the world, so I don't want to hear, oh, "I'm from Chicago, I can't get there." Got guys from the UK, Australia, South Africa, Europe, the Europe. That's uh, info there is at theartofcharm.com/slash/bootcamp, and we accept cryptocurrency. And if you're in the military or intelligence service of the U.S. or another country, you can find specialized programs with us at Elite. Human Elite humandynamics.com elitehumandynamics.com now get charming get charming get out there and connect and leave everyone better
1: than you found them